Good morning. It's great to see you guys here at Hope Church on this June 9th day, Pentecost Sunday. The church celebrates worldwide today the, the outpouring of God's Spirit, the outpouring of God's power in our lives. And we're so thankful for that, aren't we? And, uh, you know, we've been in a study for a while that really focuses in on that. As we've been studying the, the, the book of Romans, allowing God just to teach us through what He does in our salvation, our sanctification. And today we're going to move that a little bit further. So if you would, Find the book of Romans chapter 8 right now. Would you do that? If you have it on your phone or tablet, you may want to look under version under events. You'll see us there, and you'll be able to follow along with the notes, take some notes there. Because they were talking about a very important topic, a very important subject of what the Holy Spirit does that is so great that we almost take it for granted. And we don't want to do that, so we trust God to speak to us and through us today. And as you're turning there, I want you just to do this with me. We're going to in the, in the second service today, we're going to be uh, uh, sadly saying goodbye to one of our families today, but for a good reason. You know, in our two-service format, sometimes we don't always know who's where, right? But uh, we have a beautiful family, Kirby and Tara Anthony. They've been with us for about six months. He is a fellow pastor that uh, had, had attempted a church plant in this area, gave it us all, and it just didn't quite make it. And, and God brought him here for a season of rest, a season of renewal. And last week, he came to me and said, I'm ready to go back in. And God has opened up the door for him to be an associate pastor at a church here in town. And uh, we're going to miss him, but we're going to pray over them. We're going to ask God to bless them. Amen? And we know what, guys? That, that is not a subtraction. That's a multiplication. That's God doing something through us we could never do. So we just want to pray and ask God to bless them. I know that we're going to anoint them in the next service, but be praying for them today. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is that incredible turning point in this book. In fact, if I, I said in the early days of this study that if I was stranded on a desert island in somewhere and I had a choice of one chapter out of the Bible, this would be it. Because it begins with this great statement that we can never get past the believer says that there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There, there, there's nothing God brings against us because we've been set free by his love. And then in that set end of it, it says there's no separation. Because what can separate us from God's love? And the word says nothing. You see, Romans chapter 8 is a celebration, really, of the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and in our life. And as we come to this day on Pentecost Sunday, where we would, we would normally focus in on the, on the passage out of Acts, and when the Holy Spirit was given the promise of the Father, and the, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we believe is very vital to our walk. And later this summer, we're going to be teaching on that, in fact, in September. We're having a, a two-night encounter. A friend of mine, Richard Gerganis, one of our overseers, is going to come and, and teach on the, on the fullness of the Holy Spirit on a, on a Monday and Tuesday night, September 9th and 10th. But today, I want to focus on the Holy Spirit's great role in our salvation and our sanctification. We began a few weeks ago talking about what the Holy Spirit does. And we said he does some amazing things when we open our hearts up to receive the salvation that Christ purchased for us. The first thing he does is this. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes our thinking. He changes the way we, we think about life, the way we think about uh, relationships, the way we think about our purpose and our, our plan here on this earth. He, he renews our mind. The other thing he does is he produces life in us. Peace. How many need more peace in your life today? I, th I think we can never exhaust that topic right there, but he brings us life and peace. He brings us through, in, through us and in us so that others may experience peace because we are here. We love this. He dwells in us. Listen, guys, we're never alone. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. 
He doesn't dwell in a few. He doesn't dwell in a building. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit's not going to be sitting here waiting for you to come back next Sunday. He is in us. He is through us. And he works his work in our lives. And we said that he will resurrect us, which is a powerful statement. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, can I tell you, there's no problem in your life that is greater than our God. Amen? There's no circumstance. I mean, if he can do that, what will limit him? Nothing. Because he is the one who was able to resurrect us. And last Sunday, we, we spent the whole day talking about this one thought, and that is that he makes us more like Christ. He is transforming us. He is helping us overcome sin. We are dead to sin, Bible says in Romans, but sin is not dead to us. It, it continues to try to claw its way back into other life, but the word says we've been crucified with Christ. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're no longer bound by sin. Sin can't just force us to do whatever it wants. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit helps us to destroy it in our lives and give it no foothold, no place to ever come back and put us in bondage once again. Today, we're going to go a little further in this, in this great chapter. We're going to talk about a concept that for many, you may have that so what moment, but I hope I'll give you a so what moment today, all right? Because we're talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who confirms our adoption. He confirms our adoption into the family of God. You know, let's be honest, few things reflect the heart of God more than adoption, do they? Few things reflect the heart of our God on this existence on earth more than the, than the fostering or, or adopting of children. Because what it's saying is that somebody chose to love someone that was not from their natural birth. In fact, hope is kind of cool. In our own body of Christ, we have people who, who are fostering. We have people who have adopted children from around the world. We have people in, our, in, in the congregation Hope who've been adopted. And you know what that is to look up and say, somebody chose me. Somebody loved me, not because I was born naturally to them, but because they wanted them to be part of their family. And that's what Romans 8 is going to show us today about God. Romans 8, 14 is our text. Down through verse 17 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. In other words, he's saying, look, the spirit of God is working to not let you return to the old way, to not let you return to the slavery and the bondage that comes when you, when you take hold of your growth and say, that's on me. And you begin to exercise again this works-based righteousness that Paul warned us only leads to death. The Holy Spirit says, no, I'm not going to let you go there. I'm not going to let you be a slave again to live in fear. Rather... The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies in our spirit that we are God's children. And now we, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There is therefore now no condemnation. Why? Because we're God's children. He is no longer the judge. He is our father that we cry out to, Daddy God, Abba Father. We've been adopted into his family. We've been made sons and daughters through the marvelous gift we call salvation by grace, through faith, not of works that we would boast. But yet sometimes we take our salvation and we almost make it as a minimal thing. Sometimes we take salvation and we say, oh, well, there must be something greater than that. And I'll tell you, there's nothing greater than your salvation. There's nothing greater than what God did for us. And he did it all. We've been studying that in Romans. We, we think, you know, we have to be careful in our egocentric natures and not think we've done it, right? 
Oh, I remember the day that I submitted to God and I chose him and, and I said, come into my heart. Can I tell you something? In the percentage scale of what took place in salvation, our percentage is probably that point zero 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 somewhere out there, nine. God did it all. He put faith in your heart. He revealed himself to you. He sent his son to die for you that his blood would cover our sins. He imputed the son's righteousness into our account so that now we live in that wonderful relationship where we can come into a God and not fear, but come and say, Daddy God, here we are. See me, hold me, let me be yours. You see, God has given us this great gift. And throughout the Bible, he tries to describe it again and again so that we can truly comprehend it because our salvation to me is, is kind of like if you've ever gone to a store that sells diamonds. You ever been to Diamond Direct, anybody here? I mean, you go in, and what do jewelers do? They have really good lights, don't they? I mean, if you walk in, you need sunglasses because they, they know something about their product. The more you hold it up into light, and the more you turn it, it's like every time you turn, you see a different facet. You see a different beauty, a different, uh, different uniqueness about that stone. And can I tell you, salvation is just like that. When we think we understand it, God says, oh, let me show you a little bit more. When we think we got it down, and it's like just an elementary part of our relationship, can I tell you, God says there's so much more. In the Old Testament, our salvation was likened to an ark that God created for us to escape judgment from, to escape from the things, the wrath of God that was coming upon the sinful mankind. Jesus said our salvation is like a wedding feast. We ought to celebrate it. We ought to have a good time. We ought to sit back and say, we're saved. Can I tell you, we are the most blessed people on this earth, and we need to celebrate the way heaven did the day we gave our hearts christ jesus said that the that our salvation is like the shepherd going after lost sheep he said that you're the 99 I had someone come to me a few weeks ago we had uh, been teaching on that and we actually sang that song reckless love and with tears in his eyes he said i never understood what that meant i never understood what the 99 was in that song and and, and now i understand something i'm the one i said you got it that salvation you're the one that jesus said was worth leaving even of another 99 if i could go find you and bring you to my flock but here in romans paul says that our salvation is the picture of this it's god the judge finding a way to justify us by declaring us righteous based on what christ did not on anything we did ourselves can i tell you we may never fully grasp salvation until someday we get to heaven amen we may not Fully, I really believe this in heaven. I've said it before that the first sound from our mouth is not going to be hallelujah. It's going to be, oh, oh, that's what you meant. That's what you were doing. And I think we're going to say that about our salvation. Oh, that's even greater than I thought, God. You see, we should never lose sight of what God did to save us. It's the greatest work of God. And can I tell you on this Pentecost Sunday, there's no greater work than what God did for us through salvation. And I think truly that adoption, what we're going to talk about today, is probably the most powerful metaphor there is for us to understand how great this love God has for us. Back in John's gospel, in John chapter 1, verse 12, he said, he said, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Back in Ephesians, Paul again focused on this. He said, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world let me just stop for a second because I, I run into people that have this wrong mindset that somehow they're they're always trying to prove their worth to god can i tell you he chose you before you even breathe the breath on this earth he chose you before you could lift a hand and sing he chose you before you could pray he chose you before you could accept his son he chose to love you because you're his 
And from the foundations of the earth, before we could do anything to prove our word, God loved us and he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Church, listen. He chose to settle his focus of love on you. He has made us sons and daughters when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know that in the word here, I've had some ladies take offense. Like, can we change the language, Mike? Because we're, you know, we're not a son of God. And I tell you this from a male perspective. I'm the bride of Christ, so get over it. You know, metaphors go a long ways. You can make what you want out of them. But you know what? Today, we are the sons of God. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father's lavished on us, that we should be called, what? The children of God. Now, let's, let's, let's clarify something here, because you hear this in the media a lot. You hear it in our culture, that, that we are all the children of God, aren't we? So, so we're just all the Can I tell you that's wrong? We are all the creation of God. We've all been made in the image of God, and we have infinite worth and value and purpose. Every single human on this earth ever made, ever created from beginning to end, we are all the creation of God. But according to God's word, it is only through salvation that we become the children of God, and therefore all the benefits and the responsibilities that come with that relationship. And it's not to, it's not to try to, to send them and us, but I tell you the Bible is very clear about them and us. There are those that are saved those that are lost. There, there are those who receive Christ and those who rejected him. There, there are those that, that, that fit in, that, in those categories, and we have to be careful, again, because we don't get caught up in a language as if we're against those. No, in fact, we're supposed to reach those. In fact, we were those, Paul says. Remember when? Remember what we were like before Christ? Hey, I, I remember. I don't, I don't think we want to hang out with a lot of us we knew we were before Christ. But through Christ, we've been saved. And now we are the children of God through his adoption. So let's look at adoption this morning. Let's kind of look at it from a general sense and then then what it it was like in the Roman days. And then I want to show you the Holy Spirit's work in that adoption and why it matters to us today. So what is adoption? And very simply put, adoption is a legal action, isn't it? It's where a a family says, we we want that child to be part of our lives. We want we want to give them a home. We want to we want to love them. I I know we didn't give birth to them, but they're not going to know any difference because we're going to love them the same way. We're going to they're going to be part of our family with all its rights and privileges. We're going to bring them in and we're going to show them what it is to be part of a family. That's adoption. And in Roman times, it was actually interesting an adopted person quite often had a higher social standing than even a natural born child. Cuz they did something really weird with adoption. They would adopt adults. Think about that. I have, a, I have a real good friend. I always joke with him because he's very, very wealthy. And every time I see him, I said, would you adopt me, please? I'll take care of you in your old age, man. I'm telling you, but just would you adopt me? Because we're going to go biblical here, right? But uh, they would adopt adults because adoption to them meant they chose an heir that they could trust, they could love, and they could believe in. That whole thought of being chosen, it shows us what God did. Do you ever wonder why you're saved? I mean, you look back and you say, circumstances, well, I had a godly family, I was raised in a Christian home, or I was, I, I was, no, we, we are saved because God chose us for the foundations of the earth, and when he revealed himself to us, we said, yes, Lord, I'll come into your family, thank you for choosing me, and it puts that picture in our minds to remind us that we are not condemned because he chose us, we're never separated from his love because he chose us. In Roman times, uh, their adoptions were quite unique, in fact, there's a, there was a kind of a, a standard thought uh, in Roman times, it's called patria potestas, which is basically the father's power. 
Now, now think about this. I don't think we'd want this in our day and age, but a father in a family had extreme power, extreme control. And I know some of the guys are like, yeah, that's the way it should be. Well, let's get this a little far, okay? They had control over their children as long as they were living. So you could be a 65-year-old man, and your father, if he's living, still has control over your life to the point that if he wanted you dead, you'd be dead. That, that was their culture. Father had extreme control. And in their culture, sometimes a father would look at his kids, and he, he would look at them and say, mm, they're not representing me well. I don't think I want to leave the family business of that joker. You know, I, I, don't, I don't trust him. So they'd look out and they'd put their eyes on someone else's son and they'd say, oh, now that's good stock. That, that's somebody I, I could trust. That's somebody I could, I could put my, my hope in. And they would, they would enter into an adoption process where they would bring them in and literally make them as if they were their own natural sons. It's really interesting. In Roman history, there were some very famous people. They were adopted that way. It actually, if you, if you go back in history, Julius Caesar actually adopted Augustus Caesar. He wasn't his natural son. Tiberius was adopted. Marcus Aurelius was adopted. You can go on and on because this was a common practice in Roman days. And it, and it really came out in two steps. The first step was this. There was this, this concept called emancipatio, uh, which is where we get our phrase emancipation from. And it was very interesting. If, if you're a dad and your own son is... Is going to be adopted into another family, and you would agree to that, then you would go down to the magistrate and they'd have scales, and you take coins, and you would lay them out, and you would you would act out selling your son. You would do it once, then you'd you'd buy him back. And then you'd do it again and you'd you'd buy him back. And on the third time when you sold him, you released him and said, Now, no longer are you my son. You've been bought with a price. You're now his son. And then the father receiving that, that, that thing would, would enter what's called vindicatio, which is vindication. He would go down to the magistrate and, and take that son, and, and, and in front of seven witnesses, they would fill out the papers, they would make it legal, and they'd say, now you are my child. And it's interesting to me they had seven witnesses, because in Revelation, the Holy Spirit is, is spoken of as that se- sevenfold spirit of God. There's something significant about that in our lives that, that that perfected number and here's what happened when they became adopted i'm gonna put these up here for you four results of roman adoption the first thing is this and that is that the adopted person lost all rights to his old family and gained all rights to his new family i mean they, they literally it's like they were never part of that old family they now have a new family not only that the second thing is this the adopted person became the full heir to his new father's estate even if there were other sons. Man, can you imagine what that felt like to the other sons? I mean, hey, let me introduce you to Fred here. Guess what? He's an heir, and he's the one that's going to take it all over. I know he's 46, but it's okay. Now, that'd be a little weird in our culture, right? But that's what they did. He, he was going to be a full heir. The third thing is the adopted person's old life was completely wiped out legally. If he had debts, they're gone. If he had a record in the courthouse, gone. Everything about him is, that, is as if he did not exist before the moment of adoption. And then finally, the fourth thing about adoption, the eyes of the Roman law and society, it was, it was as if they had adopted a person who was literally and completely the son of his new father in every, every sense. And think about that. When God adopted us into his family, when he, when he chose us and, and, and we, we, we received his salvation, the Bible says that we became new creations in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new is past. We, 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 we've come to this place 
where, where everything that was held against us, everything that was in our past, everything that was in our record, God said, I don't see that anymore. Because now I put the imputed righteousness of Christ in your account and you're made whole, you're made new. Think about that. When we received Christ, we became full heirs of God. We're, we're equal heirs with Christ, it says. We are, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. I mean, as good as he's got, as good as the Father has planned for us, we can't even imagine. But yet he says we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And not only that, but now, oh, this is, this is good. We, we had this conversation in our freedom group, the last one, not this one that Chad was speaking of, but the one before that, where, where someone was talking about their, their family, and they're like, oh, I come from such a horrible family, and it's so messed up, and dad was this, and mom was that, and it's amazing I'm still alive today, and they're going on and on, and one of our gentlemen said, stop. That's the wrong family. Because the moment you receive Christ, God gave you a new family, and your father's perfect, and your father loves you. And your father never will abandon you. He'll never hurt you. He'll never abuse you. Oh, you got brothers and sisters. They're kind of weird sometimes, but they're still your brothers and sisters. They got your back. I don't want to hear you ever more talk about your old family because guess what? You're not there anymore. And I said, preach it. Come on. That was good stuff. Because that's exactly what takes place in our adoption. The Spirit of God confirms in us that we are the children of God. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Romans 8, 14 says he does it by leading us. The Holy Spirit leads us. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Jesus was led by the Spirit of God, right? If you remember in the, the journey he walked on this earth, there was a time that he was going to the wilderness to be tempted by the, by the devil. And, and the Bible says that it was the Holy Spirit, actually, in, in Luke 4, 1, that led him into the Jordan. It says that, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark, Mark's gospel kind of records a little stronger than that. He says in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, he said the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Now, maybe you don't think about the Holy Spirit this way because people kind of make him like they do with God. They try to make him in their own image. And, and we say things like, well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He, he, never, he never forces anything, and that's true when it comes to salvation. But can I tell you, when you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit sometimes will put a hand in your back and say, we're walking this way. Come on. We're not, we're not walking the way we walked before. You maybe think you're going that way. We talked about this last week, what repentance is. You know, when we recognize when the Holy Spirit says, no, you're going you're gonna to die to sin. You're going to mortify. You're going you're gonna to kill sin in your mortal body. There are times where the old nature wants to go that way. and He'll just grab us and say, no, uh-uh. You are a child of God. I'm going to lead you away from this because you represent the king. You see, most of us think of the leading of the Holy Spirit as kind of in that daily guidance, right? Well, what should I have for lunch for God today? You know, maybe bigger things. Who should I date? Who should I marry? That, that's important, right? What job should I have? Chad did a marvelous job explaining even in that, that day-to-day of just him saying, sit, you know, wait, there's a purpose here. But can I tell you, the leading of the Spirit, yes, is in all those things, but the greatest proof of his leading is actually in our sanctification. It's actually in the triumph over sin. I, I, know, I know this is hard for a lot of people, but I, I hear this, and I've heard it over the years so many times, well, how do I know I'm saved? You know, you, someone, we used to have testimony services in church. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about? Sister so-and-so testified about the same thing every time we ever got up, you know, that kind of thing. And we're like, amen, and I wave the hanky, all that. And, and I remember going to church and, and people describe their salvation and I'm not that emotional a person And I for years thought god if that means saved i'm not saved 
Because I didn't have that experience, God. I mean, some of you had rainbows and unicorns and fireworks and all that, and I just had a confirmation of the spirits that I'm, I'm changed. I know I'm changed. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not based on an emotional thing because guess what? Emotions come and go, and sometimes I feel like I'm saved. Sometimes I feel like I'm far from being saved, but you know what? The Holy Spirit says you're a child of God. And we recognize that, and, and we come to that place of seeing him work in us. In fact, last week, Romans 8, 13, uh, we, we said this, where if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. One of the greatest testimonies, one of the greatest proofs of salvation is literally how we view sin from the moment we receive Christ. What used to be okay and acceptable, no big deal, the Word of God says now we start to hate it. Because literally we see what it did to Christ, we see what it did to us, we see what it did to our relationships, and we say, God, sin will no longer reign in my mortal body because I am dead to it. And the Holy Spirit is right there to remind us that he helps us to do so. He leads us to become more like Jesus. And as he does that, it opens our minds up too, to the wills and the way of God. I mean, you know, who can know the mind of God, right? But yet the Holy Spirit over our walk with God reveals him again and again and again until we get a, a better picture of what God is and who he is and, and how we are to love him. In fact, in Ephesians 1.17, this great prayer of the Apostle Paul, he said, I, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may what? Know him better. You see, if you were saved five years ago, today, according to God's word and by his Holy Spirit, you should know God better. You should have a better sense of his ways, his will. You should have a better sense of his love and nature. The doubts that you have about him should be diminishing. Why? Because the Holy Spirit leads us to understand we are the children of God. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians, I always used to hear it at funerals, it's totally misappropriated there, but in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, it's this great triumphal statement. It says, however, as it is written, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And usually people stop right there and they're like, oh, he's talking about heaven no but god has revealed it to us by his spirit listen god is not holding out on us church he's not like get saved be stupid i'll come back for you sometime no he's he's i want to reveal to you my my character my nature my power my strength and and the holy spirit does that again and again and again because the spirit's job is not to have his own way the spirit's job is to point us to god's way in fact jesus said it very clearly when he's telling his disciples it was actually better for them that he went away now think about that i don't know about you but if jesus was here in the room today i'd be hanging out with him right but he looked at the disciples and said, guys, it's honestly better for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. And the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. He's going to dwell in you, and he's going to do some really cool things. And in John's gospel, John 16, it says, but when the, he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. We struggle so much with what is God's will. Pastor, what's God's will for my life? My answer is always very simple. I am not the Holy Spirit. But you know what? His job is to reveal that to you. 
And you know what the, the deal of the will of God is simply this. It's not some grandiose plan that's a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan that, that you got to go make happen. His will might be the very next breath, the very next step you take, and in that, obey him. And guess what? When you obey him, he'll reveal a little bit more. And when you get into a pattern of obeying him, he'll reveal a little bit more. And before long, you're living in this relation where you're walking in step with the Spirit. Guys, that's how the will of God flows and functions in our lives. So the Holy Spirit, the first proof of our adoption is that he leads us into understanding we're the children of God. The second is this. The Holy Spirit frees us. This is so critical. He frees us. What are we, what are we free from, Pastor? We're free from the slavery of sin. We're free from the slavery of sin. Verse, eight, verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, Paul was very clear in Romans. Before Christ, there was every reason to fear God. Before Christ, there was every reason to fear his wrath. In fact, we were under his wrath before coming to Christ. So much so that Jesus even was asked about fear one time and in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 12, verse 5, he said, but I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear whom who after your body's been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You think Jesus was blunt sometimes? I think he made his point, didn't he? But yet, once we receive Christ, the spirit received does not make us slaves so we live in fear again because now we come to our father we come to our god we run to him out of the security of sonship or daughtership not out of the fear of slavery because we're no longer bound in fear we're no longer bound in sin we have no expectation of wrath we have no expectation of that of that coming wrath of god why because now we've been chosen by him and now we are his i i did a little comparison between slaves and sons that i want you to see up here today the difference between a slave and a son and it, and, and i'm telling you right now be careful because some of you even as believers are going to see yourself in the slave category and that's god's way of showing you you need to change your mindset all right first thing is this a slave obeys under compulsion because they have to Oh, that describes the first five years of my Christianity as a kid. Well, I got to do that because after all, God's going to send me hell if I don't. I was raised in that hellfire and brimstone stuff. I believe me. Can I tell you, it does a great job of scaring you. And it does make you appreciate heaven. But I'll tell you, it'll also mess you up if you start thinking you're serving God because you have to. No, no. A son says, I get to obey out of love and for joy in daddy. <laughs> out of joy in seeing his face light up. Out of joy in seeing his son before him. That's the relationship I have. Here's the other comparison. A slave works under the threat of pain or loss. Punishment is what makes him obey. I, you know, pastor, I mess up. God's going to get me. And we joke about it, right? Like, hey, don't go out in a thunderstorm if you're living like that. You know what I mean? We, we make fun of those kind of things, but, but that's that's where so many believers still are at. Here's what happened. Christ set them free, and the Holy Spirit's saying, I'm going to keep you free, but yet they stop listening, and they walk right back into bondage. And they're like, well, it's all about me. It's what I do. It's how I behave. It's how I, how I grow, and I, I make it happen. And what we're saying is, God, thank you for saving me. I'll take it from there. And we get right back into slavery. But a son receives discipline. How many know the Heavenly Father disciplines us sometimes? Hebrews says he disciplines those whom he loves. And it's so true. The Spirit, Son receives discipline not as retribution, but as loving instruction. Here's the biggest change, I think. A slave lives in insecurity. If I slip up, it's all over. If I slip up, pain's coming. If I slip up, it, it, it will, we're not going to survive this. But a son lives in security, and he says, if I slip up, my father will forgive me. Remember the prodigal son? 
Yes. Okay. Y'all lost me for a second. I'm like, wow. Okay. Is a father of sons. I read that story and I'm like, that guy is like the most awesome father ever. Because I'd have been like, shoot him. I'm sorry. Just done. I can always have another kid. You know, it's just done. I'll go all Rome and I'll adopt somebody, okay? But no, the heavenly father in that picture looked and longed for the day when his son would look up and say, my father loves me and I'm going back to him. And when he came and said, I'll just be your slave, dad says, uh-uh, get up. You never stop being my son. You never stop being my daughter. I have longed for this moment. Can you see the heavenly father's eyes just glistened up in that moment? I mean, just that grin come over him and like, let me embrace you. Why? Because our heavenly father, we live in security. Here's the next one. A slave concentrates on the external behavior and compliance with rules. Remember, God did not save us to be good little boys and girls for Jesus, all right? He, he saved us to live this adventure of faith that sometimes we're out there a little bit on the edge. We're doing it, trying to expand his kingdom. It's not about just living in rules, compliance, but it's concentrating relationships and attitudes of understanding the heart of the father. The longer you serve God, the more the Holy Spirit reveals them to you. The, the whole concept of sin moves away from punishment. About, I don't want to do this because something bad is going to happen. You move into this place like, I don't want to live in sin because I don't want to hurt the heart of the Father. I don't want him to feel that way. It changes to relationship and attitudes. And finally, the last thing on this, a slave has to work because his, he works, but there's no honor. It's just expected. The son is honored and invited to join the work. We say this a lot around here in our team meetings. Look, we don't got to, we get to. It is a privilege. It is an honor to serve our God. It is a privilege. It is an honor to be his ambassador. It is a privilege. It is an honor to say, that's my dad. And I'm proud of him. I grew up in a little small town outside of Houston. My dad was the, the town veterinarian. And when you live in a farming town, the town veterinarian is more important than the mayor. More important than the school superintendent. More important than anybody because everybody's got cows and horses. They know who to call, Dr. Bob. And I will never forget walking in that town, and it was a pride thing, but it was a good pride thing. Hey, who are you? I'm Dr. Bob's son. And immediately I got whatever I wanted. I mean, it was amazing. The principal of my school would call me out of class. Everybody thought I was getting in trouble. No, he wanted to talk about what Dr. Bob was doing with his cows. We're going duck hunting next week together because I'm Dr. Bob's son. I loved it. Well, can I tell you that same love should be, I am the child of the Father, and I am not ashamed because he is awesome, and I get to serve him. You see, we're no longer slaves, no longer slaves to fear. We are the children of God. Paul goes on in verse 16. We're working our way through this text. Romans 8, 16. He says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He testifies. He goes to, he goes to court for us. He stands against the authorities and says, no, they are God's children. You see, the Spirit of God makes it clear to us we are saved, we are His. Why is that important? Because as long as we walk in this earth, the world, the flesh, and the devil is going to do everything he can to condemn you. You're going to have a bad day, and he's say, see, you weren't saved. You're going to blow up on somebody and say, you're not a Christian. And he's going to try to eat away at that confidence any way he can, because here's the thing. If he takes our confidence, he takes our witness. And all we're now doing is spending our whole time thinking about how we can get back to the Father when he never left us, instead of living out loud where we can say, people need to know Jesus, and my job is to show them. You see, guys, 
We need to understand it, and the Spirit testifies. He puts a confidence in us that we are God's child. It would be like you going to court, and somebody coming up and saying, you know what, I, I saw them at, near the scene where a murder took place, so, so therefore they're guilty. And, and you're standing before the judge, and it's like some evidence is on your side, and some evidence is on their side, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to jail, it's done. And then the surprise witness shows up, and he's the Holy Spirit. And he says, oh, not only was I there, but I can testify. I've got evidence. I can prove it. He was never there. And the judge says, you're free. Go on with your business. In the same way, when the world, the flesh, and the devil condemns you, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, no, you must be thinking about somebody else because that one is a child of God, and they are not guilty. They are saved by grace through faith. Church, the work of the Holy Spirit is so much more than just power to do or power to be. The Holy Spirit works in us. He moves in us. He removes all doubt in us that we are a child of God. And I want to caution us for a second here. Don't play the Holy Spirit for somebody else. There are times where we're working with somebody. We're leading them to Christ. We're, they're, they're coming along and, and we want so badly to, to say they're saved and if we're not careful, we can, we can circumvent what God is doing. And they may, they may pray a prayer, they may walk an aisle, and they say, man, I don't, I mean, nothing's changed. Don't, so often we're like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry, it will. You know, it's okay. You prayed that prayer. Remember, pastor said, pray that prayer, you're good. When we do that, we may be circumventing a deep work that God is doing in them. That, that, is, that is breaking down barriers and walls to truly bring them into salvation. I'm very, very careful. I, I'm never like, oh, you're saved. Praise God. You verbalized that. And you, you came. We baptized. That's awesome. No, the Holy Spirit will let you know. And you'll never doubt it. If Pastor Mike lets you know, you might start doubting it. You see, the Holy Spirit reveals to us. Let God do his work. When we are adopted, we experience something different with God. There's an intimacy with God. Instead of fearing him, now we have this intimacy. I, I don't know what you called your dad. Daddy always sounded kind of weird to me. My dad was just dad. But, uh, you know, some of you like pops or, or some other great colloquialism. I don't know. Just as long as you're not cursing, that's bad. But, you know, he's not the old man. Let's get past that one, all right? But, but what Jesus was saying and what, in the scripture, what Paul was teaching is this. He says, look, when you come into this relationship before God, before God was God, he was God up there somewhere, the big man upstairs throwing thunderbolts down that you were scared of. Now he's the most gracious daddy you've ever seen that invites you into his presence and says, I know you. I love you. I chose you. I want to hang out with you. Oh, he may bring discipline because we, we need it sometimes. But it's not out of punishment. It's out of love because we are his. He is ours. We live in a different relationship because God chose us. He loves us. He cares for us. And he wants us to bear his name and he wants us to carry on his affairs while we're on this earth. Because we've been adopted we've been chosen you see sometimes and please hear this carefully I, I i hesitate even writing this sometimes in our world's mindset to adopt somebody if you watch the commercialization of that that they, they, there's the commercials that make look someone look so pitiful and so horrible circumstances that of emotion we're like we got to do something look God didn't save us because he pitied us. He saved us because he loved us. We're, we're not a charity case before God. We were chosen for the foundations of the earth to be his. And finally, the Holy Spirit confirms something in us. 
that, that it sounds so selfish, but it's so important. The Holy Spirit confirms our inheritance. How many are glad you have an inheritance? Some of you think you're not going to have an inheritance on this earth, probably. You're looking at dad like not happening. But he says, we have an inheritance. It's a proof of being part of the family. When my parents passed away, I had an inheritance. Not because I was a kid that lived down the street somewhere they kind of liked, but because I was theirs. I was, I was part of the family. My name was on the, on the deed. It was, it was mine because not that I did anything to earn it. It's just because they loved me and they were able. God loves us and he's more than able. And he says, we have a divine inheritance. In fact, verse 16 and 17 says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order we may also share in his glory. I don't know about you, but inheritance, unknown riches, money you didn't know about, kind of excites me. I don't know about you. We had this little deal the other day. It came and I saw it in the paper. It says, you may have money. It's not, you may have money waiting on you. You don't even know it's out there. Unclaimed property. And I thought, what could it hurt? So I put my stuff in and guess what? There's something out there. It's probably 20 bucks, but you know what? It's like, yeah, we're going to have dinner. I'd be all right. Because it's something I didn't remember, what even know, and I, I didn't even think about it, but yet it was there for me, waiting for me to claim it. When the same way God says there's an inheritance for us that we will claim someday. Oh, we have, a, we have a picture of it now. We get a taste of it now. In fact, the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of it now. But the Word says that God has an inheritance for us that now, even when we suffer pain and we struggle, He said, even through this, it will be worth it all when we get there. Romans 8.18 said, I consider the pre- that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see what God has for us in heaven. I mean, already now we get a taste of the kingdom of God, and it's, it's good. But can you imagine what it's going to be like where there's no more sin, no more separation, no more decay, no more breaking down? Everything will be perfected because the love of God has overcome. He said, in fact, in Ephesians 1, 1, he says that because we're united with Christ, we receive an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. I, I preached out of 1 Peter on this and says we have a priceless inheritance. It's indescribable. It's beyond our human capacity to understand. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, pure, undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So what's our inheritance? According to Hebrews, everything. It's a new heaven and a new earth. Can you imagine I, I, I love going out in nature. I love, I love hiking and seeing things. And I always think, I wonder what it's like before we messed it up. <laughs> I wonder what the beauty of that waterfall was like before we messed it up. You know, can you imagine this new earth God's going to create? The Bible says the earth is groaning, just like we are saying there's something better coming. But right now we're waiting on it. And that, that, that richness that God has for us is beyond our wildest imaginations. But I have to ask you, what, what is heaven for you? What does that even mean? I, I hear people describe heaven sometimes. Oh, I'm going to play golf every day. You know, it is like birdies on every hole. It's going to be so great. You know, or, oh, the food that's going to be there. Can you imagine? No calories, you know. It's going to be great. Eat what you want. Don't worry about it, you know. And uh, we, we have all these thoughts of heaven. I mean, I had one time someone describe me, there's going to be puppies everywhere. I'm like, you know, that's going to be hell for some people and heaven for others. I am pretty certain there's no cats there, but the puppy's okay, you know. It's a... Uh, But we describe heaven with all these earthly concepts. But can I tell you the great 
thing about heaven is not these earthly things, it's things we've yet even not seen yet. Because in heaven, God is going to be the center. And God is going to be everything. And nothing will separate us from his presence. In fact, David the psalmist said in Psalm 73, Whom whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So if your heaven looks like earth, can I tell you, you're messing up heaven. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't think we'll ever get accustomed to the closeness of God we're going to experience in heaven. Right now we have Abba Father. Right now we have Daddy God. But can I tell you, then there'll be no separation at all. Oh, he loves us, but there'll be no physical separation, no timing. No, we don't need to get into his presence. We will always be into his presence, and we will experience him like never before. Revelation 21.3, one of my favorite verses says this. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You know what I'm looking for in heaven? Frustration is going to be replaced with fulfillment in heaven. Because this life's frustrating right now. But there's nothing that stands in the way of God's will in heaven. In glory, decay will be replaced with strength and newness. Our heavenly bodies will not need Advil to get going in the morning. Yeah. Save some money on that. We won't need money. That's even better. In heaven, no one's going to leave you. In heaven, no one's going to disappoint you. In heaven, there's no thing called cancer. We don't have cultural wars because there's no war. King is one. You see, in glory, things, people, they won't get older, they won't fade, they won't get weak. They just get more beautiful, strong, coherent forever because God is being renewed in them. You see, in glory, the sons of God, the children of God, the daughters of God will experience joy instead of pain. Why? Because we're His. The reason adoption is important is simply this. We need to learn to walk in the confidence of being the children of God. Because when we start getting insecure and we start struggling with who we are, can I tell you what happens? Satan just goes, I got you so messed up and tied up in yourself, you're not changing anything or anybody on this earth. But we are God's ambassadors. We are the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet. And the more this world can get us focused on us and the less on God, the less witness we will ever have. Can I tell you, people are waiting. They're dying. They're needing the body of Christ, the church, to be the church. And let God shine through us. Wear that title, the child of God, proudly. Not arrogantly, not angrily, not mean-spirited at all. In fact, we got to stop we got to stop letting our identification being we're against everything and start our identification being we are for God. And He is a God of love that does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Guys, God loves you. He looked through the eons of time and said, I choose you. Not because you're something better than somebody else, but because you have a divine purpose in you. That it may not be fulfilled for all eternity, but God is going to fulfill it when you put your trust in Him.